Okay, good morning, Jeremy. Good morning, Reed. I feel like we're on a phone call from the olden days. Mmm. Can you imagine that, like, one of those first phone calls and probably barely could understand what the person on the other end of the line was saying, but, but there was someone on the other end of the line and that was what matters. That is what matters. Yeah. Um, I I don't, I mean, the miracle that you're talking to me from Massachusetts, right? And I can hear you at all. Pretty good. Well, also this technology has almost nothing to do with that original phone call i assume you well know, just here's like wires what I'll t- and stuff however i'll that tell works. you what it has to do the fact that it even happened at all that you know that's the reason why we can do oh, it now in this certainly, way certainly certainly oh, pam tanowitz is calling you're kidding me you should take it <laughs> send to voicemail <laughs> <laughs> Um, um, I wanted to, are you involved somehow in this Philadelphia show? No. Oh. I want to know more. I also want to go see it. Should we go see it? When is it? Couldn't tell you. Maybe oh, yeah. that's why she was no calling. Idea. She was, she was calling to ask me when her show was probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. She forgot. <laughs> Can you tell she's me like, what jobs I have to do? I don't know. She's like, I was real busy and I forgot. <laughs> Busy, busy, busy. Um, mm. Okay. Now, so, Jeremy, what's yes. going on up there? So this morning I started watching The New Chef's Table because it's about oh. pizza. <gasps> the whole pizza. thing's about pizza? I think it is. I think the whole season is pizza. I think The Chef's Table primarily is about high-def cameras. It's definitely about um, em- a kind of uh, emotional manipulation through slow motion camera and uh, generic music. Right. But I'm there so into it. Be, there has to be like small <laughs> flower petals like falling onto a plate. Absolutely. Pork chop or whatever it's it's prop styling it's uh yeah. it's uh golden hour it's uh yeah it's it's a it's a sales pitch i love that i'm, I'm gonna I'm have fine. to take a look i love pizza i love pizza and i've also been looking into uh pizza ovens like brick what brick pizza ovens like how to make is one. this for and, That's incredible. Well, and I'm really inspired by the Carla Lolly music situation, which seems absolutely insane. Well, because she ha- she has one outside in the back garden. Yeah, and it's huge. And and I guess what I mean is the opening is huge. It's sort of like you could put a bed in there. <laughs> Wait, so how, I don't much, know how, how much how much action do you think that pizza oven's getting? Well, like, here's the thing: how- she. She uses it all the time for not, it's like a not pizza. And this is, this is why I'm interested in it as well is, it's like, it's an oven basically outside. Is it, is it wood wood burning? mm -hmm. So basically all it is, is a little container to hold heat. So it's a, you know, it's like a, it's a fire pit with a lid essentially. 
is my reading of the situation. So, you know, you can like basically cook anything in it is my sense. I mean, especially with her situation where the opening is so big and they're like, yeah. I think, I think the theory, my assumption is, I don't even know. It's probably not like a great pizza oven because a lot of the heat escapes. So I don't even oh. know that she uses it for that, but, um, and she has another grill that she also uses for like right. Well, pizza more. ovens need to be really hot, right? Like yeah, five hundred plus. That's the thing with a pizza oven. Um, uh, Lizzie Chi had a little outdoor oven in the shape of a cat's head, and uh, she would stick stick I things in the mouth. I don't, who's yeah. that? I'm sorry. Who is this? Lizzie Chi. I don't know who this is. That's. That seems improbable to me. <laughs> after all this time of you and me knowing one another, that you wouldn't know. Lizzie Chi is the Chinese um, sort of uh, lifestyle influencer who like moved to the country and seems to do everything by hand. Oh, I see. Yes. I don't know her she name. Like, oh, and right. Those videos she, are insane. They're truly crazy, but she does have a little outdoor. She stopped. I think the government stopped her. She has a little outdoor. Yes, um, I remember that there was some. There was like what happened. What happened to her? Oh, everyone on YouTube is speculating. What happened to Lizzie Chi? I'm like, you just will. You'll never know. Quite frankly. Yeah, underground. Underground. I. You know. I too am watching a. Um, cooking show on Netflix. I mean, I know Chef's Table is not exactly a cooking show. Yeah, it's not. It's a food show, I guess. What are you watching? Yeah, a cooking I, show? I, I watched um, School of Chocolate on Netflix. I watched uh, an episode or two of this as well. Years, it it years is ago. difficult. <laughs> difficult. Oh, you, did you say years ago? No, it's just some time ago. Oh. Well, it's with that that youngish, famous chocolate guy named like something Amori, if French, his French guy. Oh, I thought he was South American, but I don't. This was a while ago when I watched it, so. I don't oh goodness, know. but you know what's interesting? It's all very like cornball. It's food competition I can't show. You're watching. However, that. nobody gets kicked off. Which suddenly sort of shifted my feelings toward it because I was like, you know, this actually is a, a teaching structure. Like, Well, this is what the... was so great about the last drag race. Why? Because no one got kicked off. I didn't watch it. That was so good. No one got kicked off? No one got kicked off until like the last... Uh, the penultimate episode and then it sort of got broken into two groups and then there was like a winner from the loser group as well oh my god Did because it was it was win? a it was like an all-stars all-stars so it was like they were all i think it was called all winners um, oh i see because so, so they knew that like they needed they were all well-liked drag queens they needed them all in every episode to get the maximum viewership yeah, and I also think that they, in order to make another one of these all winners, they have to treat them well and not humiliate them. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But also they were all like so, 
they're so settled in their thing and they're confident and so it's it was but it, it created this kind of camaraderie you know inside of this competition there was still like a competitive aspect but they it was just so sweet to see them together the whole time wow so. so nobody knew so basically even by the last episode do you think when they got divided into those two groups even the group of losers like they didn't know they were like oh we're the loser group no they knew so oh, okay you know it, it was it was i don't know how they do this so basically there was like a star system so like the winner would get a star and they knew that like only the top people with the most stars would mm. make it to the finale. I see. And then, which it was sort of a, a sham because then the like last competition, it was like, oh, but this is, this, is, this, this round is for like five stars. <laughs> so like anyone could win kind of thing. Oh. So it was basically like, not entirely, but to, to, to some extent. Uh, whoever won were, that was. Were you ever in a classroom situation where there was a chart with the names and then gold star stickers? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, first grade. But I also, because I wouldn't speak loud enough, I had this uh, like speech therapy game. Oh, interesting. Um, where. Uh, it was this sort of coded thing where I, I don't even know if this is true. I feel like the, I could have fabricated this, but I remember it being that my, the teacher would pull on her ear as like some kind of signal. I assumed that uh, like I had talked loud enough. Ah, uh, wait, she'd pull on the ear to say you have spoken loud I, something enough? Something like to that. Me, it was that some means kind like, of like signaling your... thing. I, you know, right. I don't know. Well, I'm actually I'm experiencing know. that right now, oddly enough. This is, yeah, as my audio comes through a sock. So soft. So through soft. Through the socks. Yeah, um, it's possible. See, and I always, I always, and still feel like it's a hearing issue. That so. people can't hear? No, that it's my hearing. Oh, that you're hearing so good that you're like, I can't speak oh. loudly or oh. hurt my own ears. Maybe. Wow. I don't think so. I don't think it's, I don't think it's that. Um, Jack's show opens tonight. Yeah. Jack's show opens tonight. It's, it's really good. Wow. I'm really, you're not going to make it. Oh no. It's too hard. It's insane. It's really crazy. How did Paige do it? Well, Paige is sort of, t you know, she, made a vacation of it so she she went up to Albany and did a, a little vacation moment in Troy and then wow that's know, what my and, hope and, was because I you know I have those friends who live right. have a country house sort of nearby like an hour away and I thought oh you know like mm -hmm. I'll go stay with them I'll get them tickets to the show but, but and then their plans changed and I was like well now I'm yeah. gonna be on like a six-hour bus ride and then I'm gonna pay hundreds of dollars for a hotel room and I was like this is really you know I love Jack love you but you know to spend $500 to see a show it's hard yeah it's a lot but you know so you know whatever um I, 
I don't. It's it's not a it's not a show for New Yorkers. You know, that's that's just what it is. So uh, well, you mentioned it might reoccur. Yeah, I mean, anything's possible, right? It might happen again. I think more likely it could happen here again. So Mark's exhibition is staying up for a really long time? Yeah, the show's been extended six months, so that's why there's a sense that, you know, Mass Mocha does these these huge, you know, long shows. Wow, now to be Mark Swanson and have your show extended six months, that must be thrilling. Do they then hand you over another check? No. What? I assume not. That they're, can't be, that seems not right. They're like, well, keep housing these things that you have. Wow. I, I, <laughs> I assume. I, I, I have an embarrassing admission. Oh, interesting. Speaking of, you know, museums and exciting of shows, etc. You know, I, uh, not this past weekend, or I, I don't know, I went to the FIT Museum to see um, they have like a Balenciaga Dior compare and contrast kind of exhibit where they show pieces that are similar, mm. but explaining like why the houses are different and the approach is different, the kind of, you know, ideology. Um, and then there's an incredible shoe exhibition downstairs in the big gallery. It's absolutely amazing. There's a million pairs of shoes. Shoes. And I thought, well, I'm going to go make it to the, to the Met costume exhibit because it's ending and I just gotta go and and I didn't yeah and now it is closed and Mm -hmm. I didn't see it and you know I I feel bad when something like that comes and goes and I just didn't make the effort to to brave the tourists and go to the Met Museum and I I realize there must be times of the week where you can wander the Met more or less unscathed but Mm -hmm. I just never I just never got over my kind of low-grade summer anxiety about going to the Met yeah it's unfortunate and that's my that's my admission of guilt it's unfortunate did you see it no see and you're a film person and I'm a fashion person and we both missed it and it was and it was a coming together of film and fashion so we both know that you know so like there you go say again I didn't even know it was. You was didn't it even a, know it was. I thought it was part two of like America. Or well, that was happening, but the way, I, look, I didn't see it, so I can't. Uh, look, I'm gonna. <laughs> I could say a wrong thing, but there was in the American wing. They had many of the um, living quarters, like the you know they have a lot of rooms. Yeah, yeah. Period rooms set up as rooms, and in those rooms they had mannequins wearing clothes. And those rooms, um, the kind they were directed by famous film directors like Martin Scorsese and Sofia Coppola, etc. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so those film directors got to devise a kind of narrative in their mind about what's going on in this room and what and you know why okay. the people are wearing the clothes they're wearing. Oh, who knew? <laughs> I did. Oh. <laughs> See, this is why one should not know things. Because then you can have responsibilities and Right. right. So don't know anything. That's but what political look, I'll get my hand on the book and we can look at it together. Ah. Uh, don't read books. And you know what I heard about that exhibition? It the lighting was very difficult. Oh, 
It's like the wind of last week's episode. Exactly. Although I enjoyed the wind. I have to say, I listened to the whole thing. Oh, wasn't bothered good. at all. That's good. Yeah, that's good. I um, tried to tamp it down a bit. Oh, thank you for doing technology. It was crazy. Um, for the ease of our listeners. This week, I um, realized I could come into this little house. So that's where I am. Oh, you're in a little house. It's, and it smells, you know, like mold or... Well, what kind of little house? What is it? It's just this little, like, community space that's attached to... It's, like, next to the pool, and there's a sauna. So I think that's the smell. I see. Oh, gosh. You know, moisture wreaks havoc on most materials. Moisture. It's going to get you. Although, oh, my God, speaking of... We have to talk about making the cut. Oh, yes, we'll talk about that. But just before we do that, because this will be less fun. Great. Let's do that. I went to a dinner last night celebrating that many, our friend Kristen and Ellie, many of us are friends with Kristen and Ellie, who used to work at Bershnikov Art Center, and they're mm-hmm. in the city. They moved to Kansas. Kansas? They're in the city for yeah. a few days. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. And so we all had dinner out in Ridgewood, Queens. Whoa. Ridgewood. Now, I I took the M train nine stops from the Lower East Side. I thought, where am I? You know, where am I? But at any rate... But no transfer. No transfers. That's fine. Love no transfer. Yeah. To go directly from work. So sat down. At the end of the meal, I'm talking to Sean Swazi. And Sean says, have you seen the latest issue of World of Interiors? I said, well, you know, I'm not a subscriber. My mother is. And well, they have that new... Who's, who took over? Someone took over. I remember this. I there was a YouTube video. Um, oh? It's like a fashion person took over. I can't remember. Oh, let me see. I'm looking at the first It's a New pages. Yorker who like then moved to London for this job. Who is oh. this person? Well, it does... Okay, wait, wait, wait. Here I'm at the credits page. Editor... Oh, Hamish Bowles took Hamish over. Hamish Bowles, yes. <laughs> so, yeah. It's truly like there are no... The people in this universe are like, there's no more creative people. There are only Just have five Hamish people. Do it. Right. Yeah. There's only two creative people in all the world. <laughs> that is um, so, absolutely okay. Back insane. to this covers. I, isn't that, so maybe, maybe it um, contributes to this, whatever is coming here in the story. Well, then it stands to reason the article that Sean was pointing me toward is about Nicolas Gasquier, who famously was the wunderkind... Uh, design director at Balenciaga in the 90s and then later became the design director at Louis Vuitton. So Nicolas Gasquier is this very well-regarded, famous figure in the fashion world. And so they do a very uh, big story. It's the cover story on Nicolas' Paris home. Uh And I was excited because Sean lent me the magazine and said, you know, enjoy it on your train ride. I said, thank you so much. Oh, he so just I'm, had it with I, him. He had a couple copies of World of Interiors in his tote. Of the of the same one? No. no. He had, <laughs> okay. he probably, the last I was like, I don't know. I, how crazy was this? Like this. He like this works for September. World of Interiors now, and he might, <laughs> look at this point. I don't know. It's like sign up for a subscription. Uh, anyway, okay, continue. So I open the magazine on the train. I start looking through the Nicola. Um, 
the Nicola editorial of the home. And I'm, I'm thinking, oh, wow, this is a, what a, what a lovely home. Like clearly like every surface has been thoughtfully what considered. Kind of, what kind of building is this? Hmm. It's hard to say because there's no exterior shot, but mm-hmm. it has doors that lead out into a private garden. Uh-huh. It's like a, but do you, you feel like it's a, it's a, it's a building. It's not an apartment. It's. Oh, I see. Actually, like, I can answer your question exactly. Cause great. it's in the, it's Gorgeous. in the first paragraph. <laughs> he bought a wing of an 18th century Paris hotel particulier. Wow. I bet yeah. there's a video on YouTube as well. I'm sure. I'd like to watch it. So. When you when you enter this apartment on the first floor, you're seeing it's it's somewhat gallery like, you know, there's an austerity to it, but there's many objets, none of which seem particularly personal. <laughs> um, uh-huh. yeah. But, you know, there's a there's like a subtle warmth and like humor to it. Mm-hmm. Great. But, you know, generally my sense about it was like, oh, wow, this is a pretty chilly home pretty chilly yeah and and um do you think but you know clearly this was the work of an intellectual who has a very impressive art collection um and the collier shore even factors in call it what collier's work is resting on a surface friend of the pod oh my god a friend of our podcast absolutely and a friend of Um, the world friend of the world (laughs) <laughs> so then you get through about, I don't know, five to six pages of this, of this editorial. And then you see, um, you see a lovely sitting room with, you know, velvet sofa and fancy knoll pieces. And you think, well, that's the room to be in, you know, soft surfaces. It's the only room in the whole downstairs with anything soft, mm-hmm. right? The following page, now this this page was really geniusly devised because it is a picture of a door, a doorway with the, that opens to a marble staircase that leads into the darkness, right? Ooh. Right. So you're intrigued. You think, where on earth could that possibly be going? And in my mind, I think, oh, that must lead to like the studio upstairs. Like you go up a marble staircase and you're in some kind of studio. No. A, a salon or something. Uh, the office. Because mm-hmm. to walk up a marble staircase, you know, you're it. that means business to me. You turn the page and I laughed out loud on the train. Because what do I see? I, I'm looking at what looks like a mausoleum a, or a crypt. And then it also registers to me that what I am in fact looking at are the living quarters. So it is an every surface. Now listen to me from the ceiling up to no, the floor all the way up to the ceiling, huge slabs of marble, right? All even the, all of the, there are built in, table surfaces, the tub, it's all made in this identical marble. There are window shutters that are hinged marble slabs. 
So when you shut the shutters, you have blacked out your living quarters with marble slabs, okay? Some engineers had to devise how to do this so as not to kill people, okay? This crazy, I mean, look, rich people are demented. We know that. But to open the world of interiors on the next three pages that are where this person sleeps, I was like, this is next level, like, vampirism. It's just so sick. Um, So I highly recommend going on the internet and looking up Nicolas Gasquier's home because it is truly absurd. Okay, that's my story. I can't wait to see it. It's truly insane. That's, uh, yeah. It has a closet that looks like. Wait, is he giving a, does he give a tour of this place? I, this is not a video. I know, but are there pictures of him in the space? There's, he doesn't appear. And it's not like an interview. No, it's really an explanation of every single object in the house because every yeah. single object is like a work of art or by some incredibly famous yeah, furniture I kinda, designer. I'm like, oh, he doesn't live there. It's not a place to live. It's, it's just, just a like place a to... It's a meeting place. Or, or, it's a gallery. Yeah. It's a gallery. In fact, his closet looks like an aquarium. I watched a, a YouTube of Nate Berkus house. Oh, disgusting. I thought... Kill yourself. This is like why would this is where you want to live? Well, look, I would, I would, this uh, is, infinitely rather live what? in this crypt than in Nate Burkus's house. Insane. I couldn't, and it was like a you know, a renovation of a renovation. I was well, like, this I is mean, just sure keeps getting worse. Nate Burkus probably spends his whole life like ripping surfaces down, putting Absolutely. them back up. I mean, like, how many times do you think this person's well, changed his their partner wallpaper? is also a design designer? So it's just like a oh, full, no. it's a nightmare. No. And then they have these kids, which like the only place where anything feels okay is like where the children. Oh, no. oh what did Jeremy, you? I'm sorry. I, it sounded I opened, like a lid. I'm sorry. Yeah, it, it, that was the. Classic sound of a, oh my God, classic sound of a mason, mason jar, jar going awry. But it was my, it was my Reese Witherspoon smoothie and now oh, there's some on the oh. floor, but I, you know, I'm, I'm compulsive. So I have to wipe oh it up. Oh my God. I can't wait to have green juice. We just haven't had green juice. Right. Cause you, you lack the, you lack the machinery. Yeah. So I've just been having, um, cornflakes and, oh, uh, wow. Well, only people who listened to last week's episode would know this information. Yeah. Um, it continues. It's almost over. Well, it's almost over. I, I have to say, like, you saying Nate Burgess and his partner immediately makes me think about Triggering. Neil Patrick Harris and his partner. Oh, and totally. I think, they should all well, live together. These, these four high-profile... Overly documented gays really painting a terrible picture of what it means to be gay in the 21st century. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. It's fine. Go for it. Go for it. Live, you know, live your picturesque. Yeah, I want want to have editorials and reality shows, etc. about 
Mark Swanson and Joe Mama. Like that's Oh the, my god, that's a really good are, idea. Thank that you. is really good. Maybe I'll thank do you. make that happen. Please. It's, okay, so it's also it's also a juxtaposition to what I like about Chef's Table, especially, I mean, I think this is it's sort of a through line of the show of like these kind of people who s- have sort of this spiritual relationship to food. Uh-huh. It's sort of corrupted by the kind of manipulative Netflixy gloss of the show itself. But I do think, like, you know, this, this guy in this first episode um, makes pizza in Phoenix, Arizona. And... Wow, I would, you know, it's eating just like, pizza in Phoenix sounds very unpleasant. Well, this is sort of part of the story of, like, you know... I mean, the most embarrassing thing are, like, the critics' interviews. You're like, you are so pretentious. This is, oh, who are talking anyway. about the Arizona pizza? Well, so, basically, this guy did a thing where he ate, like, a thousand slices of pizza around the world and was, like, the best pizzas in Phoenix, Arizona by this guy, who is originally a New Yorker, so... And is, like... Italian heritage, what, ha- what have you. Mm. Um, and it's pretty convincing. I'm like, yeah, I want to eat that. And it's also wow. sort of, it seems that he was sort of the first person to do what kind of is everywhere now with like these wood fire oven, you know, what have you, local ingredients, all these things. Right. So, um, but yeah, the kind of like the the food as a portal to like a spiritual like connection is mm. really it's and that's like that's that's what i'm looking for in like a room decoration as well so to see these like kind of vacuumed spaces where like no life exists oh you know there's something you know uh there's some aesthetic theory going on with like a mausoleum room certainly yeah but again it's like it's not for living it's literally for like no. dead people so and I'm, I'm not against like a mausoleum large sort of <laughs> spaces with nothing in them I yeah. mean I love that's beautiful I, I love that but again it, to have a room like that is like you be you're very lucky you can use it as a creative space you know like oh I have this right. space which is a studio it's nothing Mm-hmm. But to live in it, goodness. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, like, where where are my things? Where are my things? Yeah. Also, like, where... Oh, wait, can I, te- can I tell you one hilarious story I heard at dinner before we talk about making the cut? Yeah. Can you first tell me what you ate? Oh, yes. The restaurant was called Rolo. Oh, you ate at a restaurant? At a restaurant, yes. Mm-hmm. And we, there was kind of like a number of foods just ordered for the table. So it was, they had these polenta breads, I think, that were, one of them had sitar and one of them had something and they were good. And there was a stracciatella cheese served mm-hmm. with them that was nice and tangy. And then there was these sun gold tomatoes served on like sort of, toasts that had sopped up the juice it was very delicious mm-hmm. then there was really delicious chicken thighs with like a chimichurri or something also served on a bread you know where like 
wow. that kind of soaked bread vibe. Wow, lots of bread. Then there was a delicious pork chop that had peaches wow. on it. Yes, peaches and, and, and pork. It's really... Yummy. Yeah. Then there was spicy meatballs served wow. in like little dishes with very, very cheese, like with a red sauce, but with lots of little nuggets of um, hard cheese. Mm-hmm. Then there were these things they called lasagna, but they were calling it two-sheet lasagna. And it was okay. very crispy. It was almost like cracker-like. Green noodles, very cracker-like with bolognese inside. Incredibly puffy, delicious, but very wow. flat. Very flat. Like a sandwich. Noodle sandwich. Yes, sort of like a sandwich, but not, you couldn't pick it up. I, you know, I maybe picked up a piece in my hands. Um... That and then there were these really peppers. Good. This sounds so there good. There were these long red finger-like peppers that were named after some like Italian farmer upstate. They were like Vinnie Nardano peppers and uh, very delicious. Very delicious. Wow. Um, so I think that's mostly wow. it. And then there were some desserts. They brought out chocolate mousse that looked like um, a cake of cat food. You know, when you empty a square tin of cat food. Not great. But yeah, not a great presentation, but very delicious. And it was it was covered in olive oil. So each bite you yes. got of this chocolate mousse with cocoa nibs on top was like crunchy and then airy and creamy. And then you got the olive so oil floral. coating your mouth. It was so exciting. good. So yeah. good. Yeah. Wow. I can't believe you weren't going to tell me about that. Oh, I'm so sorry. I just, I know you're, you it care sounds about like food Sounds like a right tremendous now. food moment. Yeah. Well, I, I do because like. I'm in a desert, food desert. Right, you're desperate for food. Eating cornflakes. Okay, so then what was the story you wanted to tell? Oh, so Russell's friend, well, all of our friend Josh was at this meal, who's also friends with Kristen and Ellie, formerly a dancer at New York City Ballet. And Josh, okay, anyway, Ellie's old friend, Sophia. Um, she and Josh used to live together and then at a certain point she packed up all her belongings and was moving out elsewhere and you're not going to believe it so she had all of her like boxes in the hall sort of like packed up and she left the house for the day and came back and Josh had done a really kind thing which is that he took her bags of um, to be donated clothes to the Salvation Army uh oh And when she got home, she was like, Josh, where are my shoes? Because she had put all of her shoes in like a laundry basket and then piled the garbage bags Mm. of donation clothes on top. And Josh had taken all of her shoes to the Salvation Army and donated them. And the only shoes she was left with were the ones on her feet. Oops. Isn't that insane? I was, it was shocking to me. Did they try going back there? Josh tried. They were erect. They were not to be retrieved. Uh oh. I know. This is you know and again like don't, don't be political. Don't help people. Just stay in your room. You could and hide. you could make mistakes. Be careful. <laughs> okay, so that was my funny story. Oh now, no, no shoes. Now we're talking about the famous show making the cut. Yeah. Sorry, have you watched all the episodes? Well, today's Friday. So, oh no, today's it's Thursday. Not, yes, not. I'm up to I mean, date. It is, but it also isn't. 
you know. Right. It for those of you listening, you'll probably have two more or one more new episode. What a strange one. two episode thing. Why? Yeah. I just <clears throat> I'm so sorry to sneeze. That was really um, disturbing. So yeah, it's an interesting structure to release two episodes at a time. But also like it's good. Like I because you get what you want and then by the end of the second episode you're like, I'm glad this is over. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm into it, but I'm also sort of it's sort of have your cake and eat it too. There's sort of like a binginess to it, but also uh, it stretches the experience out. So I like that. It's just strange in terms of like, what if you made, it's interesting in terms of like episode as a concept. Like it Mm -hmm. is different than a like two hour episode. Right. So yeah. yeah, it's kind of like having a, a play or a performance where it's in two parts and like your audience and some days they happen back to back and some days, you know, you do one and then the next day people have to come back for the other one. Right. But they're not made in pairs. I guess that's part of the weird conceptual thing for me. Where I'm like, oh, it's sort of random. Oh, making the cut like... is highly conceptual. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so Heidi is such a gag. I, it's just, it really, oh my God, I also want to talk about uh, the Darling movie drama that really came to a head this past week. (laughs) (laughs) I was so obsessed. It's more interesting than making the cut, actually, for me, but I don't know what there is to say other than the drama, the drama. Well, what there was truly no drama, and Jeremy Scott felt it was very... Are you talking about Darling or Making the Cut? Oh, wherever. I love this. Let's just float around. Well, yeah, that was the thing. Making the Cut lacked drama entirely because there, there was little to say about sort of intercontestant relationships. I mean, the Swiss guys occasionally uh-huh. causing a little tension, but... Really, it's just like people going about their business. I felt like that, so, that sewing machine drama was a fully produced moment. I was I, like, and this you know is what? I actually heard real. from someone else that they, on Twitter or something, someone posted a photograph of the entirety of the sewing room, and there are actually several more sewing machines, like to the left or the right, that they just didn't include in order to kind of focus the drama. Yeah, that was that's the feeling of that. Yeah, it was silly. (laughs) Like I'm gonna use this one, and you're gonna use this one, and you can't touch mine. And then, like five minutes later, of course, someone's touching someone else's machine, and it was like, well, just go use another one. Anyways, it doesn't matter. But my legs are so long. Okay. (laughs) And my legs are long, and this machine's hard to use. And I'm like, (laughs) literally, back up. Um. And then Jeremy Scott decides that. They will take on the drama maker role. It was really... Humiliating. It was oddly ineffective in that, like, I don't think anybody watching that show was like, oh no, like, 
oh no, like these poor people. Oh my god. No, it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like that episode of Top Model where Tyra screamed at that woman and was like, I believed in you. Absolutely. Well, only Heidi can, Heidi could do it. Because it's, it's about insanity. And Heidi right. feels like anything could happen. Like, but she's I so do, ruthless like if, and, like, If, if Heidi crazy. were to have an outburst, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, A of all, escalate to anything close no. to that kind of volume of ridiculousness. Right. But I also think, like, Heidi would have some sort of rational empathy in a way, whereas Jeremy mm. Scott was just putting on a little show for the people and like throwing notebooks and like feigning just like total rage over this like dumb fashion presentation. I was like, are you joke? Like what on earth? It was really like how, how it's unbelievable that you actually care. (laughs) Right. And this is Jeremy Scott communicating with, like designers who are in the middle of their careers, like people who have already been through school, have developed businesses, are like somehow ended up on this silly show. And Jeremy Scott is talking to them like he's been training them to be fashion totally. designers for their entire lives. Yeah. yeah. He's so disappointed in them. And also, like, they had one day <laughs> to make two looks. Like, this is what it is. This is this is real life. The, like, well, how bad they were. I was like, yeah, I mean... What you- was initially confusing was that we knew it was coming, right? Because it right. was in the preview. Right. But then, it was during the fashion back. show, you see Jeremy Scott sort of, like, you know... Bored. He's He's a little bored. He's having kind of, like somewhat positive reactions to various pieces. It all seemed very reasonable. Uh-huh. And, and I mean, yes, it wasn't like, it certainly wasn't like a fun show or like, well, so here's the thing. Here's the thing that happens because whatever his name is, the Swiss guy was not even kicked off. So the rage wasn't even about him. The reason it came up at that moment was because the Swiss guy pushed back about his designs being good or whatever. Right. And he was like, no, this was all garbage. That was really insane. He really, like, did not want to be defied. It's absurd. Um, Jeremy Scott, we're not fans, okay? We're not fans. I don't, I mean, I'm not, it's, it's, He's sort of irrelevant on the show. Like, Heidi looks insane all the time, and I'm like, this, serve me this level of, like, kind of controlled crazy any day. I'm, like, here for it. She loves loves cutting people. It's her, like... If If it was just Heidi and Nicole, it'd be great. And Nicole looks amazing. She's also hilarious and She is so normal. fun. She's like a person I would want to have dinner with. You know, it's just like a, a nice person, seemingly. But she who's says, also you like, know, some dumb things. Like, if somebody else was wearing that, that would look totally different. 
<laughs> you're like, like, would it, Nicole? Well, I mean, it would look like someone else is wearing it. Yeah. Um, but I like her. And she says, and yeah, she's like, too. she's having a good time. I was glad that she like. was back. Because I think she was in the first season. She yeah. In. Well, we miss, obviously we miss Naomi Campbell. I mean, <laughs> that she was ever there at all seems like a dream. Mm. Oh, incredible. I mean, nothing can, can compare to that British model show. I also, are they not going to travel? That first season, they were like, it was like such a crazy international thing. Oh, and then the COVID, and then there was like the COVID season. Yeah. This is well, the third I don't know. season. Maybe, maybe this is, they're going to take the final four. Maybe they were left. like, it's so much cheaper to not go to Japan. Who's <laughs> left? Georgia, the Swiss guy. The Brazilian guy and Jeanette. Is Jeanette still there? Who's Je- Oh, yeah, Jeanette is still there. Which I Against you know, all odds, quite frankly. I, it's I mean, really honestly. I love when she won good. after like a scathing review. I love that part. Oh, like, right. You are because like the best of the worst. Thank you. Because the Amazon people <laughs> were like, that'll do. That one'll do. God, looking at the clothes is so amazing. After, like on do, Amazon, it's oh, you so go and look. Funny. Do they They're do like, like yeah, weird? This is what fashion is? Do they take the idea and sort of like make it trash and sell it for ninety nine dollars or whatever? Yes, that's exactly what they do. Wow, 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 wow. And, and sometimes it, you know, there's definitely a range. But I also like that they're making little collections of garbage for Amazon every week. That's also yeah, collections of, funny. of trash. I wonder, I wonder, I would love to check in with Gary Graham and see how making the cut has altered their business and their life. I want to know, like long-term effects of making the cut. Yeah. Because like, is Gary Graham still making witch clothes in the barn upstate? Or does Gary Graham now have like a the kind of support to do, I don't even know what Gary Graham so wants to do. I suspect that K- Gary Graham is still making witch clothes in the barn upstate, but people are buying them. Right. That, that's what I suspect is happening. That's what I hope is happening. Um, you know, I think there's no reason to play the like fashion game if you don't have to. Like, the point is to make what you want to make and have people buy it so that you can live. Right. So I that's that's my that's my hope that it created a a customer base. Yeah, but I, I mean, I oddly, Gary Gary Graham's the only person in recent memory who's been on one of these shows who I re- relate to in a real way. You know, I'm like, okay, well, this person is. I've actually seen my friends wear these clothes. This mm-hmm. all feels very close and familiar. This sort of size of business feels familiar to me. Right. The, the ethos of the brand all feels very familiar. So to see Gary Graham on Making the Cut and have him be successful, I was like, it was, you know, inspiring in a way. Yeah, and he, he's strange, which is, you know, like, a thrill to see... It, like strange in like a, a kind of introverted way that really right. like came across as like very sweet. I love that. Yeah, it was nice to this kind of, yeah. And not I, just sort of be like edited away into 
Right. Like, like Gary's person. brand of like neurodivergence on television was somehow very comforting. Yeah. Well, also, Speaking- I mean, but, it, but it's also because it's linked to their, their, their creative spirit. Yeah. World stuff. Wait, were, did, were, were you at Carling's wedding? Were, did we know you then? I was not. Oh. But, um, but I remember that happening. Yes. It was like Carling wore a Gary, Gary Graham dress for her wedding. Yeah, it's so nice. It was yeah. very nice. And speaking of neurodivergence, are you watching The Extraordinary Attorney Wu on Netflix? No, I don't even know what this is. Jeremy, Jeremy. What is this title? The Extraordinary? Attorney. Attorney. Woo. Woo. Yes, like lawyer. Oh, okay. No, it's an an attorney. Woo. It's a a South Korean show about a severely autistic young, um, young woman who becomes a lawyer. Wow, work. And... Um, it is bizarre. It is uplifting. It is moving somehow. It's very weird. I love it. Um, and I have all kinds of feelings about it. And I'm uncertain. Goodness. I I feel it's the kind of show that would be impossible to make in North America. But somehow the way in which they've Mm -hmm. made it in South Korea, it, it, it feels very... Um, sensitive yeah um, and it, yeah. and very uh, inform in a way informative about the autistic experience and not just one one kind of autistic experience but multiple kinds it's really it's mm. interesting great yeah um, anyways highly recommend it so that we can talk about it okay. on this television show okay. that we're on okay. great great Extraordinary TV. TV. Um, um, basically, I just love Florence Pugh, and I think she's doing everything correctly. And <laughs> congratulations! And apparently, she's the only thing worth watching that movie for. Wow! Well, so that's that's no surprise. I mean, what um, what's the latest news on the scandal? I think I don't know. I don't know that there's. I mean, I think the latest news is that Florence Pugh isn't going to, like, whatever the premiere, the next, like, in New York premiere or something. I don't know. She's, right. she's not going to be there. Um, just not going to do it. And I did see she posted on Instagram, like, a very kind of uh, broad congratulations, everyone. Right. You know, because she's basically been ignoring it on social media in this way that's been incredible so but this feels just like the 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 right thing to do not be like a total ice queen about it so she's being professional and disinterested which which we love but wow don't get involved olivia wilde she's really oops which is uh sort of ironic because like in that interview that I saw with her, she was like, happy, good set, good set vibes. And I'm like, this is not how you create good set vibes for future films, honey. 
oh, by like no. backstabbing conversations about everyone he worked with. Incredible. Not great. I yeah. I, I you know I've never got good vibes from Olivia Wilde. I have to say I I've never quite understood it. Yeah, it feels very acting as if like. Uh, I don't know. There's a kind of pretentiousness mm-hmm. to. I'm a Did director. Olivia Wilde direct Book Smart? Did I make that up? That might be true. Huh. I think that was a movie I couldn't watch. That was a movie I I you did not it. love that oh. everyone else loved. No, no, oh. I I, I did not love. Using it with something else. My feeling yes. about Book Smart was like, wow, people are really excited about the performances by Beanie Fel- Feldstein and Caitlin Devers, and I thought speaking oh. of of uh, funny girls funny girls we have this new funny girl leah michelle she's on broadway on broadway six standing ovations or whatever i'm like but isn't that what everyone gets in like these situations yeah i mean look i i'm it's it all seems very contrived and like you know her uh, the audience that night was like all her best friends so it's like yeah i have I mean, she's going to get a warm reception, right? It's expected. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, look. She's also a star. I'm sure she's up there singing she's a star incredibly. For, like, basically funny girl. So, I, yeah, I mean, I hope she's serving it and I hope that it's a good time. She's absolutely serving it. And, like, what's unfortunate for Leah Michelle is that. She was born into this body with this face and these vocal cords that kind of like set her on a trajectory towards this role, towards this revival. Right. And then she was just like such a mean girl that she messed it up for herself and so had to arrive at it in this like bizarrely convoluted way. And now there's like people hurt in the wake of this drama, like Poor Beanie Feldstein. I'm sorry. Like, I know the whole thing is nepotism, but, like, she's now has to live in embarrassment about this whole thing because, like, she got well, a part she, she really wanted to do. She doesn't have to. Oh, okay. No. It's... You do a thing. I mean, this is, like, literally what happens every day on Broadway where a star comes and does a Broadway moment and then they go back to, like silver screens and little TVs or whatever. Right. It's and true. make Be- gallons and gallons of money. It's, we don't have to feel bad. She yeah. doesn't have to okay. feel bad. It's like, I forgot. I forgot for a second that Beanie is the star of the screen. Have a good time, honey. Do, do what you want. Beanie was what great in the Monica body. show, you know, and so I, no good. one can take that away. No one can take that away from her. Yeah. But many, yeah, many, it, you know, many more projects to come. Singing badly is a really embarrassing thing. And I think like I'm ultra sensitive to that. So for me to have heard clips of Beanie trying to sing her way through this very challenging score, I feel I feel embarrassed for her. But, you know, many people and Beanie, I'm sure, had a different experience of it. Yeah, I'm also like, it's not her, it's not her fault that she isn't you know, it's, it's an impossible situation. And apparently, like, the staged musical is also not great. Right. Like No, it, it doesn't look good. I mean, I've not been, but... But also, even, like, the, the show itself, like, the, you know... So, the book is not all that it 
could be. Oh, like funny. It, like, well, it really, like, know. needs a Barbra Streisand to, like, be right. anything. That would explain why it's never been revived, you Right. Know? Well, it's also that, like, Barbra Streisand is incomparable. Is she truly? So, truly? it's, it is a kind of curse. But uh, it's also that, like, the material isn't good enough without it. So. Right. Wow, to be like, oh, you have to be a miracle to like make this work for us. So, you do. You have to be a miracle. So, God, it would have been thrilling to be in the audience with in the '60s or whatever when Barbara was unbelievable. You know, I mean, wailing her way through that. I mean, that's sort of what the whole system is for, right? Is like at some point those miracle moments happen. Yeah. I mean, and those were the days when Barbara was really singing in like a very assertive and and unmannered way. I mean, obviously she had sort of Barbara mannerisms from always, but like the way the mannerisms became was just so unbearable that like, right. regardless of how good a singer she is, like the way she started singing, you know, decades mm. later was just like, well, now you, no one can listen. You know, like you're so crazy. You can't sing like that. Right. Um, but anyways, what the one last thing I was going to tell you is that I saw a, a play. Uh Oh, I know. My friend Jacob, who worked with us on Dancing as the COVID compliance officer, was stage managing a show at East 59th Street Theaters. Okay. The show was called On That Day in Amsterdam. Okay. And it was directed by someone named Ali Khan, who supposedly having has had some success. Is this a World what. War II there was a World War II element, but no, it was basically about two young gay men who spend the night together oh, in Amsterdam, no. and then they spend the following day together, and it's about that day in Amsterdam. But um, the focus of the show is that one of them is a like, refugee from Syria or something, and about how like hard it is to be a refugee and just like all of this like um very I mean I'm imagining the intention was to provoke some kind of <laughs> sympathy it was truly <sighs> terrible I mean look <laughs> it was a play what can I what can I say it was a play there we go thank you Jeremy thank you for saying it it was a play <laughs> Yeah, I I mean I, I I'm, I. God bless lovers of plays and art and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I get your kicks where you can. I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. We're we're jaded and we're, you know, heartless. So. It was <sighs> it was rough. It was 90 minutes, no intermission, thankfully. Just sit and go. Yeah, because it'd be hard to go back. Oh, I wouldn't have. Had there been an intermission, I would have I would have been like, so they sorry, Jacob. Had to, had to run. Um, there, was an, uh, there was four male actors in the show and one female actor. And she, she was delivering a performance in a different show. Like, she... <sighs> what a thrill. It was, was actually. Was it a small audience? Like Smallish, 50 people? Yeah. 
Um, no, big, a little bigger than that. This theater was probably the size of, like, slightly smaller than Nyla. Okay. Yeah. That's less fun. And, like, I love... There's something about a bad show with, like, 50 people in the audience that's kind of a thrill. Oh, it's really like, I'll never, I'll never get out of here. Um, but this woman, apparently Jacob said, like, after the show opened, she completely it started ignoring any of the like style guide that the director had given. She just mm-hmm. was like not doing that anymore. And she was doing almost like on the edge of a Miranda Sings performance. Yes. It was <laughs> remarkable. Like there was a, there was a point in the play. Well, the a of all her first scene, there's basically two actors who play themselves who are just like, we're two young gay men. And then everyone else has to play a million people, including historical figures. And her first character was this like, (laughs) um, Dutch, like house mom who, who's renting them a room on a houseboat. And she has like a handkerchief tied in her hair. And she's doing this like absolutely incorrect Dutch accent, but with like, incredible conviction and like all her funny lines like looking out at the audience like you know what I mean it was really insane wow there's a part where she goes this is later on in the play and they're talking about going to the Anne Frank Museum and then suddenly the light Mm. like it switches to her and she goes on that day in Amsterdam and as she's saying it because they repeat that line like 5,000 times in the show on that day in Amsterdam she pulls a barrette out of her pocket starts putting in her hair she goes Anne Frank's father told her that they would not be leaving this room anytime soon. And the, I, I guffawed when, <laughs> when she put the barrette in her hair to like become an Anne Frank. Oh, I was like, no. this has really reached a whole other level. And thank God this woman was in the show being like, this is a joke. I want you all to know that I'm a clown and this is a joke. But she, do you think she knew that? I don't know. And I, I don't want to assume to know what her process was, but I appreciate that I got that. That's that I felt as if she was in the movie waiting for Guffman uh-huh. and everyone else thought they were like on their way to being TV stars. Yeah. Getting a Pulitzer prize. Yeah. Or whatever they get. They're all, they were all <sighs> hoping to book a big gig. Book a big gig. Get rid of hope. That's, that's my advice to young people. No. Just be hopeful. Be where you are. Hope for nothing. Get, <laughs> get pleasure where you're at. Um, I'm going to John Jasper's show this weekend. Great. Great. I'm glad Saturday. That's, that's, that's working out. I have lots of tickets for Fall for Dance. Love that. Love that. Our friend Joe Walsh is coming into town (gasps) to perform in the night with San Francisco Ballet at Fall for Dance. Great. Love that. Um, What other dance things can I tell you? Uh, New York City Ballet will be opening within a few weeks, I assume. They're back to rehearsal. As ABT will step into the theater right after them. Back to work, everyone. Everyone's back to work. Summer's um, over. Uh, truly, it was incredible here that like the de- I went to a beach birthday thing on Labor Day. It was quite misty, 
And I swam in the ocean one last time. It was very warm and filthy. And then um, Monday morning or Tuesday morning to wake up to like pitch black sky, chilly rain. I thought, wow, Mm. it's really back to school. Goodness, that was remarkable how the weather delivered on the idea of um, the school year starting. Back to school. Back to school. We have to end because my gadget's going to end. We do because I have to to pee so badly. Oh my God. Okay, so Reed's going to pee. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for making it to the end. It's really unbelievable. It was a great, I think it was great what we just talked about. Pulitzer Prize winning episode. This one, this is the one that we're submitting. This is the one. This is the one. This is the one. This is the one. All right. We loves you. We loves you. Ta-ta. Oh.